You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. You know, this has been there's something beautiful about our you know opportunity, not only as early adopters, but really in this idea of like reinventing uh, something that really we've been living but didn't realize we weren't uh, kind of taking advantage of. And what I mean by that is really digital ownership. And I was having this conversation uh, over the weekend. Uh, with someone that really just didn't see the light on what NFTs were, why we should care. And one of the things I kept you know, kind of positioning it was about digital ownership and where digital ownership in this you know whole world kind of exists. And it's funny because what have we bought online or digitally that didn't have a physical product that we technically owned? And when I positioned that to a, a group of friends this weekend, they're like, well, a website, I, I own a website. And I'm like, you own the website or you pay for a hosting provider and you reserve your domain name for a certain amount of years. And they were like, uh, okay, good point. Good point. And then they were like, well, you know, I own, you know, this software. And I'm like, well, is it a, you don't have, you don't technically own it because you're, you know, paying a, a subscription service more than likely because you're going to have to get updates that are, you know, continue to get out there. And they started laughing. I was like, but if we think about it offline, the idea of ownership, I mean, when we, we buy everything and anything, we own it, right? Everything from what we buy at Target or what we, you know, when we purchase a car or we purchase new clothes. But the, the, the cross section of this that I think is actually even probably more important to the conversation is, you know, how is what we own digitally valued? And then how do we have the ability to resell it or to maximize it or to show it off to the world? And I will say, it's funny, the more that I come up with creative ways to present NFTs, the more light bulbs go off. But what I also find is that there's also more kind of curiosity around certain components uh, of NFTs that maybe we haven't de- you know dove as as deep in on um, as maybe you know we have in other um, you know areas and actually I'll tell you one of those areas as far as kind of diving deep into um, you know NFTs or understanding NFTs is really that resellers market right and you know I like to you know I we did a master class today on uh, you know exchanges and uh, secondary markets. And when we think about, you know, we're buying an NFT, someone, you know, we might hear a lot about, you know, what blockchain are you buying it on, right? Is it a Solana NFT, an Ethereum NFT? And we oftentimes tie that back to, well, it's because of the marketplace has all of the attention right now, which is OpenSea for the most part. But funny enough, like not everything we buy offline today 
are we thinking about it in the sense of what we can resell it for or what others value it as? And so it got me thinking a little bit in just the, you know, the nuances, right? I, you know, I've bought and sold hundreds and hundreds of NFTs, right? And we, you know, we of course are buying one every single day for a year uh, here with the podcast, but I will tell you the, the, the aspect of like everything we buy that is an NFT form has to be valuable in the resale component to be worth it, I actually think is a misstep. I actually think it's a step that we are um, making in in regards to this, like where everything does have that like finite uh, aspect to it. And what I mean by that is, like for me, when I get a great pair of shoes, oftentimes when I realize it's a great pair of shoes, this is just me. I don't know about you guys. I'm a sneakerhead, right? I like to go buy a second pair of them because if I love them, I want one pair to sit up in my closet that I keep for a long time. And then one pair I'm going to wear the hell out of because they're comfortable as hell. And I absolutely love them. Uh, I did that recently with my no bulls. My, I have the no bull project uh, sneakers. I have a bunch of those pairs, but that's just something that, you know, for me, I, I think about that. But when that pair of shoes, you know, when I'm going to, when they're starting to not be as comfortable, I don't think like, man, this was a waste of money. More often than not, I'm like, man, I do not want to get rid of them, right? I, I feel like a little bit of a hoarder. I'm like, man, these are like my favorite shoes. Like, I absolutely, like, I love, love these shoes. And these are like, you know, and I kind of like, I, I don't think about like the resale value uh, per se, right? Versus, you know, there are some pairs of sneakers that I buy that I am thinking about the idea of like, what if I keep these in, you know, a great condition? Could I resell them? But it, it doesn't factor into everything. And then the other part of this is, I don't know how many people have actually re- have sold things on eBay or on Craigslist. I, I remember early days of eBay, right? I sold a lot of things on eBay early on. Um, a lot, actually, baseball cards. I sold sports memorabilia. Uh, I would actually sell, you know, some of the you know, a little bit of the collector stuff that we had, and then I sold a lot of like kind of electronics. Like I would, I would, I'd buy a monitor after a while and not like the monitor anymore, and I'd sell the monitor. But eventually, like selling of products and service, you know, products online became a little bit more difficult, mainly because there was people that turned that into their full-time job. There was uh, bots and um, software that was put into place that really would maximize every one of the uh, secondary markets like on eBay. And then of course you had things like Amazon and stuff where you were like, why would I buy this for $14 when for $18 I can get it brand new from Amazon? And one of the interesting caveats that I wanted to kind of position here in the the NFT space is if we're only looking at our ability to resell something, then I believe we're, we are either doing a disservice to the rest of the utility of a project or we are really setting ourselves up for some sort of failure because here's the truth. I've got some really rare uh, NFTs in a couple of collections that I have, right? In in the top 100, right? So out of 10,000 NFTs, mine is one of the you know 100 most rare in that collection. And I can't sell them to save my life. And you might be like, Brian, like if they're the most rare, aren't they the ones that like can garner you the most money? But here's the thing. If people aren't if that people aren't paying attention to that project, if people aren't and even if the people are paying attention to that project, but they only think it's as valuable as kind of the floor or the the lower end ones jumping in, there aren't going to be people that are going to pay 15 times the floor price, 20 times the floor price. And I will say like in a weird way, 
it's actually started to shift my um, my whole take on NFTs that I'm buying with the idea that I, I do plan on reselling them. And you know, we all for most of you, you've listened to my three by three by three episode of the podcast where you know not only do I think about it from buying three, but if you can't afford to buy three, you need to really understand what you're going to do with that utility. But, you know, it was actually something funny that someone, I think I saw it on a tweet and then I, I went back and forth with them. Someone said, you know, uh, it might have been Data NFT who's been on the podcast before. Someone posted on Twitter and just said something like, one of the best things I've ever done is I started to buy NFTs on the floor that I thought were the ugliest ones. Rather than earlier on, I bought the ones that I liked the most. Reason being, if you like it the most, your likelihood of holding on to it too long is actually probably, um, you know, it's you probably have a higher chance of holding on to it longer. If it's an NFT that you don't love as much, like from an art perspective, the likelihood of you getting rid of it is definitely um, out there. And I felt that a lot when my wallet got compromised, right? When I went in to save some of my NFTs, you would have thought I would have saved, you know, the most valuable right out of the way. Actually, I did, but I not most valuable in dollars, most valuable to me, the ones that meant the most to me. But it's it's also you know kind of taught me something in this space as well is that like there you know there's we we talk about different swings in momentum within collections, right? And um, you know one of my favorite collections, couple actually two of my favorite collections today um, had interesting spikes. So psychedelics anonymous, uh, which most of you know is one of my favorite projects. Um, it's in my opinion the best game theory nft project there is um it is it is i mean an amazing community in there um but they've been trying to get gary vaynerchuk to sit down with uh volt uh the founder and uh jb one of the holders of one of like the i'd say voices inside of pa has been tweeting at gary like every day to get gary to uh sit down with volt and today gary actually replied and went back and forth a little bit and it was funny because there's a lot of like buzz around that. And of course, the floor price shot up a little bit. It kind of shot some energy um, into the collection. But for like that collection, like I have no intention of selling uh, anytime soon unless the project all of a sudden loses all of its value. I have no real intention of, of, of getting rid of, of PA. But I kind of loved that like Gary V conversation kind of, you know, shot up uh, people's interest. Well, at the same time, another project that I absolutely love, uh, Crypto Chicks, you know, over the weekend they announced, uh, they brought on two new members of the team. They've also done some announcements um, in their Discord recently. If you're a Crypto Chicks holder, definitely jump over there to the Discord. And I just all of a sudden saw an influx of people talking about it. I saw their floor price was going up as well. And, it, and it's really interesting because like those two projects, if you ask me on a, on a, regular basis or every weeks or so what their floor price of those projects were. I couldn't even tell you. I wouldn't even like, sometimes I'm like way off too, where people are like, I thought you love this project. And I'm like, I do, but paying attention to the floor price has nothing to do with like my love for the project. And because I have no intention of selling it and I only own a couple or one, then the likelihood of me caring about like what people are buying them, selling them for um, is a lot less. Now, with that being said, Part of the other thing that I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around is that we have to start thinking next level for the NFTs that we're holding on to. And what I mean by next level is I'm talking about intellectual property rights. I'm talking about like three years from now when all of a sudden we have a, a we want to we want to create a new logo for our new company. All of a sudden we want to like, you know what? I own that NFT of that great piece of art. Well, if you own the IP to it, you can now make it part of your logo and you can, you can expand a whole brand on that. 
And then I also learned a thing about it, like the idea of like brand nostalgia, brand attachment, because uh, I was actually, you know, I was with my daughters this weekend and unfortunately my, my, my Jeep broke down and we had some, some time sitting in the car and I was watching my daughters going to go through their phones, looking at YouTube videos. And I was like, why do you like that YouTube video? And they were like, oh, I love this person or that character. And then I was like, what made you click on that video? And my daughter would be like, oh my, like, I love that art. And like, as soon as I saw that picture, I had to click to figure out what it was about. And it got me thinking. There are a lot of people that are 14 to 19 years old right now that, you know, are, we could just say they're kind of born onto the blockchain in many ways where so much of their life, once they start owning things like a cell phone and they start thinking about college and they start thinking so much of their lives are going to be integrated with NFTs we have to really start thinking about this idea of like, where, where does some of the value that we have, where can we take that beyond just what's available today, right? Because back to where I started this conversation on ownership, right? Like, what does it mean to own something in the digital world? And I think we have to look at it from an ownership perspective. Like, when you, like, I always laugh, like, when I've owned houses and I've rented houses, when I own my house, I put shit all over the walls, I paint the walls. But I also, in a weird way, am a lot less careful with the house because I'm like, hey, I own it. If there's a, if a hole in the wall, if I dent something, I'm like, I'll go back and fix it. But if I'm renting something, I oftentimes won't paint the walls. I won't put things in the walls. And I try to take better care of it so that it's, um, I don't have to do as much uh, uh, maintenance on it when I'm leaving the house. But how weird is it that the rental has me caring about the, the when I'm leaving but the ownership of the house doesn't have me caring as much, but I also will put more money into the owner side than I do the rental, right? Like I've done full landscape jobs and a lot of those type of things on the houses that I've owned where I've rented, you know, I'm going to pay someone to cut the lawn. That's about, that's about it. And I say all of that because one of the things that like dawned on me, like, in, uh, you know, over, um, I'd say the last couple months is like when we think about like a project that has failed or an NFT that we like, we love the art. But all of a sudden, like the community is falling apart. There's not really much value there. What can we do then? Like as an owner of that one piece, what can we do to, to then transfer like, okay, let's create value or something on top of that, right? And I will say, you know, as I look at this kind of like world, I always like to think about like, how do we tap into our superpowers? And like, what about us is like from a superpowered perspective, really, you know, kind of shifts some of the narrative um, in in the way that we show up, right? I, I believe right now, you know, many people are recognizing that our vulnerabilities, in many cases, if we can take a vulnerability and turn it into our superpower, it's something that allows us to be unique and stand out from the noise. And in some ways, like, I would actually argue that, like, we need to, we need to take a better assessment of, like, what are all the things we're working on? Like, I, and this is, this is one that came up to me this weekend. My daughter was like, Hey daddy, like, I think we're going to do, um, we're going to sell, um, some things over the summer for our Girl Scout troops. Can you help me create like, uh, you know, something around it online so we can send it to our family for selling it. And I was like, of course, like we could create like a graphic on Canva or whatever it may be. But then I thought about it and was like, wait a second, what if I could let her pick one of her favorite NFTs that I own the, the rights to the, the property. And I could include that in the, in the marketing or like like advertising for like my daughter's Girl Scouts that she wants to sell things, right? Like, and I started to really think about this idea of like, when we think about ownership digitally, 
What if we stripped away completely the fact that we could resell it? How would that change the way we look at a project? And then on top of that, if we, if we knew we could resell it, but we knew that we could only resell it for 50% less than what we bought it for, would it change the way we look at some of these NFT projects? In some cases, it would change it drastically because I know a lot of people look at it from a short-term uh, flip and opportunity. Other times, people look at a project because they want a 10x or 100x. They want the next Moonbirds. But then when they don't get it, they're like, oh, okay, I'll lean into the project. I'll figure out what, it, what this project's all about. But I also think like there's like a weird nuance that if we took away some of this like external pressure, it would allow us to reimagine, reinvent things in some creative ways. And so I, I hope we can kind of like wrap our head around that. The other thing I want to kind of throw out is kind of this um, idea of what you know I've been referring to as... It's time for the Alpha Minute. Alpha is actionable info not known by most people. So lean in and listen close because Fanzo's about to drop today's Alpha Minute. All right. So from an Alpha Minute perspective, you know, it's really interesting. You know, Bulls and Apes, a, a project that we just had on the podcast. I know I think they're delaying their their mint uh, a couple of days because uh, they're trying to make sure that some of the smart tra- uh, contract vulnerabilities that have appeared recently um, aren't going to be there in their contract. And then, of course, um, there's a couple other, uh, you know, large projects. I know uh, Batman, uh, the movie uh, NFTs are, are coming out uh, in the very near future. Uh, also very aware of like some other projects that I know people have been waiting for kind of towards the end of April, early May um, standpoint. But, you know, I think some alpha around, you know, Twitter being the main hub and main host of, um, you know, NFT conversation publicly you know, it was kind of discovered, it was shared today, the alpha of today was really that uh, Elon Musk's uh, offer to buy uh, Twitter uh, is more than likely going to be accepted. And I'll say like, I've loved Twitter since day one. I've been active on Twitter for forever. It's why I have such a large following. I have multiple accounts that I tweet out of. But I also love that like Twitter's always kind of evolved. And I would say they've never been great at marketing their best features, but they've always kind of adapted. They, we went from 140 characters to 280 characters. We never used to be able to have video. Now we can have two minutes and 20 seconds of video. We used to only allow to have one photo. Now we can have up to four photos per tweet. But I've also loved it because those that find value in Twitter find it in so many different ways. Right. Some people find it from a sports uh, perspective. That's how I actually first discovered it. Some people find it because their favorite TV show, they can use a hashtag and and tweet about the, the TV show the same as there are other people that are watching the show. But I will say one of the things that I think from an alpha perspective, like, uh, you know, like, let's just say information that isn't like commonly thought of. Is that, you know, the, the integration of the PFP where we can verify our photo on Twitter. You know, one of the things that we also have to recognize in this like kind of space is that not only is the data around Twitter massively valuable, but we also we we pretty much are well aware. I mean, it's why Elon is is uh, is buying, wanting to buy or take over um, Twitter. Is that it is by far the most influential public social network that is out there as far as you know general influence and movements that existed. And I think one of the things that's going to be very interesting is, you know, with Elon Musk if he ends up becoming the the primary owner of Twitter. Who does that bring to the platform? And does it really leave, make people leave from the platform? And then the other piece of it is like, I'm very close with many friends who still work at Twitter today. And like, I wonder how like they stick around, how they kind of, um, you know, are, you know, what their, their plans are, you know, moving forward. 
But I'll, I'll tell you the the other part of this that like from a you know a kind of an interesting uh, alpha perspective is that keep your eye on the moves that Twitter makes and how it influences LinkedIn. I've been noticing some hires and some things in the LinkedIn Microsoft world because Microsoft owns LinkedIn. And if we think about it from a professional network perspective and the idea of people think of their business selves being LinkedIn, don't be caught off guard if we start to see some LinkedIn verification components being integrated inside of dApps and websites around NFTs. Trust me, when you see it, just remember you heard it here first. All right, my friends, until tomorrow, make it a great day. Cheers. This show is not financial advice, so do your own.